grace and peace are yours through God our Father and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. Whom is God for? Whom is the message of salvation for? That's what Paul strikes out to answer that question as he writes this beautiful letter that we call Romans, this letter written to the Christians gathered in Rome, because he's writing to a very diverse group. He's writing to Christians of all sorts of backgrounds. You have Christians in, in Rome who have been avid students of their Old Testament their entire lives, and you have Christians in Rome who are just finding out about this God stuff and this Jesus stuff. You have Jewish Christians who have grown up knowing who Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses are, and you have Gentile Christians, that means non-Jewish, who are just finding out about these people and seeing how it all connects in Christ. Whom is God for? And as Paul writes Romans, as Paul unfolds this beautiful letter of doctrine that Christians have read and cherished over centuries, whom do you think ha is going to have a harder time understanding what Paul is going to say? In other words, who is easier to teach? The brand new recruit or the old curmudgeon who thinks that you have nothing to share with them that they don't already know? Would you rather have a six-year-old who has all these answers and is a complete blank slate, or would you rather be teaching a 60-year-old who thinks they have life pretty well figured out? It's, it kind of depends, right? The Gentile Christians are starting from scratch. The Jewish Christians have a couple things in their minds that they were raised to, to think and to believe that Paul needs to take down a notch. And that's why he says what he says. He needs to get them and us to understand whom exactly God is for, whom the message of salvation is for. And his answer is a little bit offensive to the Jewish Christians. Might even be a little bit offensive to us when we look closely at it. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It is pert near impossible to overstate the importance of Abraham to the Ju these Jewish Christians, to the Jewish community. He was their George Washington. He was their Michael Jordan. He was their Tom Brady. And they had done to him what we do for all of our heroes. They had overblown his accomplishments, making them stand out more than they probably should. And what else do we do for our heroes? We kind of paint over, gloss over their failures as human beings, don't we? You find out that one of the forefathers of America had slaves can be difficult to reconcile. You study Martin Luther, the reformer uh, whose name we bear on our church, and you find out that later on in his life he wrote some pretty nasty stuff about certain groups of people can be hard to reconcile. It can be hard to hear that your favorite person in history was still a human being with a sinful nature who had personal failures. 
But that's not to say that Abraham has nothing for us to emulate. Because what did Abraham do? Paul singles him out and says Abraham did something that we should also do. Abraham discovered a righteousness. Now what is that? What is righteousness? The first psalm that begins the book of the Psalms says that the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields beautiful luscious fruit it says that God watches over the way of the righteous that if you are a righteous person you and God are like this you are tight with God you're checking all the boxes you have God's stamp of approval you have a good relationship with God that's what righteousness is and to be justified this other word that pops up in Paul's letter to the Romans means that you have been declared righteous that you have received God's stamp of approval justified Paul says that Abraham was justified before God and the Jewish Christians are saying of course he was look at how great of a person he was he was our forefather in the faith look at all the things that he accomplished and Paul says no 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 he was justifi justified before God but not by his works if Paul says Abraham could be justified by his works by his lifestyle by his behavior then he would deserve us to idolize him to romanticize him he would deserve being the perfect role model but not before God he says why because God intended us to be righteous God intended us to be perfect moral beings. God intended us, as he created us, to have a good relationship with him. So if any of us could do that, if Abraham could do that, the best that God could give them, the best compliment he could give them is, nice, you work exactly as I intended. And that's not a whole lot of praise. You don't give a whole lot of praise to a toy that comes off of the assembly line that works exactly as intended if it were possible to by your own works achieve righteousness before God but you can tell what what Paul is saying it's not if Abraham were justified by his works but the assumption is but he wasn't why because none of us Abraham included can be we have failed too much we have failed to love our neighbor as God intends. We have failed to serve our family, our friends, our co-workers, our enemies as God intends. We have failed to keep our eyes from evil, to keep our thoughts pure as God intends. We have failed to be the righteous people that God wants us to be. Therefore, to try to achieve righteousness in God's sight, to try to get the good, good to go, okay from God, on the basis of our works before God, isn't gonna cut it. Paul explains now to the one who works wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation however to the one who does not work but trusts in God who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness if you could get righteousness by your behavior which you can't what would God be to you then he would be a banker just giving you what he owes you 
he would be your server at Taco Cabana fulfilling your order. If you gave God what, what he demanded from you, then it would be his obligation to give you righteousness, to give you the blessings that he promises to righteous people. That wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it? What kind of relationship do you have with the person who signs your paycheck? I happen to know the person who signs my paychecks. He's right here. He's Russell. I have a great relationship with him. But he's still doing his job. When somebody signs you a check for a couple grand for no reason at all and gives you that gift, that does a lot for your relationship, right? If it were possible for us to earn blessing, to earn righteousness in God's sight, then we wouldn't have much of a relationship with him, would, would we? It would be a give and take. It would be more of a partnership. But since we can't, that's not what we have. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is the offensive part. To hear that Abraham did nothing to move an inch toward the righteousness that God requires is the same as hearing that you have done nothing to move an inch toward the righteousness that God requires. That is offensive to our sinful nature. And we might even protest. We might even fight against that. Hey, wait a second, though, we might say. I go to church a lot. I read my Bible a ton. I give an offering. I volunteer. I do this. I do that. I help out my friends. I volunteer in my community. That, me that counts for nothing? It's offensive to hear that as much effort as we put into our righteousness, that we can't stand on our own two feet in God's sight. Why? Because even our righteous acts are filled with bad motivations. And even while we're trying to be righteous, we keep on sinning. Now, haven't you ever seen somebody do something incredibly dangerous that they clearly don't know how to do? Let's just say that they're operating a nail gun for the first time in their entire life, and you know how to do it. And you see that they're about to poke themselves in the eyeball, and you run in, don't you? And you say, hang on, let me take care of that. When my one-and-a-half-year-old picks up a knife and tries to cut an apple by himself, I don't let him do it. I take over. God saw that our attempts at making righteousness happen on our own were just killing us. The more we tried to stand on our own two feet in God's sight, the more we were separating ourselves from him. So what does he do? He steps in and he gives us a righteousness that is not our own. He gives us his. You ever get a, a certificate of completion? Maybe you do a, a CPR training marksmanship training or your bachelor's degree, your high school diploma, your master's degree. What does that piece of paper, we love pieces of paper, don't we? What does that piece of paper mean? It means you've done something. You've fulfilled certain requirements. You have achieved the requirements of this particular course and now you can be counted on to have that expertise to, to be able to do that. Now you are the person who can do CPR at your workplace. Here God comes in to Abraham, to you, and to me, and he prints us out a certificate that says you are righteous. You 
and I are good to go, God says. You have my stamp of approval. How can this be, we say, when we have sinned so much? Well, he delivers it through faith, Paul said. Now, what is faith? I don't celebrate too much. We don't do a whole lot of certificates at my house when my kids listen to my wife. When my son is climbing on the counter and we say, get down from there, and he does, we don't go run and print off a certificate. Congratulations, you got off the counter. He just listened. He just trusted. That's what faith is. Faith is just a trust in the relationship with God. And when you trust in God, that's hardly a risky bet, right? God is the one who raises the dead. God is the one who created the universe. God is the one who created you. And when you failed him, he redeemed you through his son, Jesus Christ. God is the one who has proved himself to be right and true and a God of love time and time again. You can place your bet with him, and that is 100% safe. And that's what faith is. Placing your bet with God. A trust relationship with God. And it's crazy that God, through faith, gives us the credit. All Abraham did was listen to what God said, and he said, yep, that's the truth. And God gave him righteousness through that exchange, through that trust relationship. And here's the thing that's even more amazing. That faith that exists in your heart, that trust relationship with God, was put there by God. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in the gospel for today. As far as flesh, as far as sinful human beings are concerned, all we can do is beget more sin. Flesh gives birth to flesh, he says. But what have you undergone? You have undergone a rebirth caused by God through your baptism. Through that moment that God brought you into his family of faith, whether it was at your baptism or the first time you heard the gospel, God made you trust in him. Just like the first time you were born, you trusted in your mother. You had no choice. You trusted her for life, for protection, for providence. Now through your rebirth, you trust in God. You are safe with him, and you know that through faith, and God has placed that faith in your heart. You see how wonderfully gracious God is to you? Not only has he made you, not only has he redeemed you, but he has done a hundred percent of the work to connect you to himself. They say that relationships are 50-50. Not with God. God does a hundred percent bringing you to him. Connecting you to what Jesus has done for you. His victory on the cross, his victory through the empty tomb, delivered to you through faith. That's what Abraham discovered. Abraham had, though, a future faith. A faith that heard God's promises and he trusted that God would eventually fulfill those promises. And he saw many of those promises fulfilled. You and I, what kind of faith do we have? We have a past faith. A faith that trusts that God has done what he says he has done. That looks back to the cross of Christ and sees that that's where our forgiveness was won. But we also trust that God will deliver on all of his promises. That he will work everything for your good. 
that he will bring you into heaven to be with him, that he will be your God, that he will provide, that he will protect. We trust because we, now we know through faith who this God is. That's how Paul finishes our lesson. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we, he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that were not. Whom is God for? He is for everybody. Whether you have just started out in your faith with Christ or you've been believing in him for a long time, God is for those Jewish Christians in Rome who know their Old Testament like the back of their hand. God is for those Gentile Christians who are just starting out because we are all believers. We have the faith of Abraham. We are sinners just like Abraham was, but we are saved by the blood of Christ just like Abraham was was. But here's the sticky part. You might be hearing what we're saying about how your righteousness is given to you by faith, and that might make you worry. Because what if you have struggled in your faith? What if you have had doubts? What if there are truths in this book, this glorious, wonderful book, that have been hard for you to understand or to accept? Does that mean that you're not righteous in God's sight anymore? Have you excluded yourself from God's goodness? Well, it's true that if somebody continues to reject everything that God says about him, that that's not really faith. But for someone who struggles, remember, you have the same faith as Abraham. Abraham is our role model. Because he struggled. Sometimes he had a hard time taking God at his word. But your faith and salvation does not depend on your strength. Does not depend on you making a decision for Christ. Does not depend on you trying really hard to just close your eyes and believe. Your faith rests on God. So if you struggle, if you have doubts, if you have questions, take those doubts to the God you know. You have a trust relationship with God. You can go back to Him. Study His Word to find the answers to your questions and doubts. Go back to the cross where you see your sins are forgiven time and time again. Because what did God do when Abraham was struggling? He reaffirmed His promises. He told him again how loving He is and how what He was going to do for Abraham. That's what He does for you and me. Whom is God for? God is the God who saves sinners, who justifies the ungodly, Paul says. God is the God who can handle your sin, who can handle your doubt, who can handle your questions, because he gives you his promises. And when you run back to those promises, you are holding on to them. You are holding on to the God who has called you his own. So just keep holding on to him. Amen.